CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It's Wednesday, June 24th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Charles Power, 24-7 Sports National College Football Analyst. Charles, you wrote a really interesting piece yesterday for 247sports.com, and I'm excited to talk to you about it. Uh, it's called, or it's headlined, Regional Recruiting Can Spark North Carolina's Leap to National Contention. So this isn't you know, just about why their class is good, why North Carolina's class is good, and it's not just about why this could be a, a pretty decent team going forward for Mac Brown, but it's, it's a combination of the two. So just walk us through real fast to start this off, like your research for this story and, and sort of the conclusion you arrived at. Yeah, so I, I think... Anybody who kind of looks, if you just take a look at the recruiting rankings this year, um, or at least right now, North Carolina, you know, be a number four, and they really could go higher. They're probably going to be number three this time next week. Um, I mean, that, that's definitely a story in itself, but I, I think it's kind of interesting just looking at, you know, how this could affect their, their program and just the, the overall roster construction. And it's really kind of a confluence of, of factors, and it's not something – dissimilar to kind of what we've seen at, at other programs who kind of make the jump from maybe a top 25 type team um, to a perennial top 10 type type squad. So it, it kind of starts with, with North Carolina. Um, really, really the, the basis for their, their class and why it's so strong, um, it, it's, it's really kind of a, a perfect storm for Mac Brown in that um, you know, they had a, a, a promising first first season. Uh, they had no losses by more than a touchdown. They played Clemson close. They beat two of their um, you know, in-state or nearby rivals uh, in South Carolina and NC State to book in the season. And they have Sam Howell, which is he's one of the more promising young quarterbacks in the country. So that, that kind of gives them a little to sell on the recruiting trail. And you combine that with it's really probably like, at least in, in the modern era, it's the best in-state group of talent, uh, the, the 2021 cycle in North Carolina that, that we've ever seen. So you, you kind of combine both of those factors and, and it's syncing up perfectly for, for UNC to sign, I think, what, what would conservatively, conservatively project as a top 10 class right now. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I think it could, you know, looking forward, the kind of the focus of the story was, was how, you know, would they ideally want to build on, on that class. There's Chris Hummer a few weeks ago, I guess uh, the other month, profiled the, the fact that homegrown title teams are rare these days. And you referenced that in your story. The last team to really do that, uh, have a homegrown national champion, was Texas, was Mac Brown in 05. And it's sort of gone by the wayside as we've seen Alabama's and Clemson's of the world, Ohio State's to recruit nationally. And North Carolina, like this is not a national class. This is, I mean, you mentioned it. It's a great year in state in Carolina and, and they have 16 commitments. And, you know, with the exception of a few guys, these are all in-state kids. But your, your point is that 
they're going to have such a good 2021 class thanks to all of these factors, like these once in a every 10 year factors. You get Sam Howe, you have this great in-state year, whatever. Like this could be a springboard for North Carolina to become a player on the national level as far as the football field and on the recruiting trail. Right. Um, and I, I think when you look at when you look at teams, these current top teams, like I think we typically consider the upper class of, of college football recruiting and it tr- usually transfers over the field. It's it's really, you know, five main programs that we always talk about. It feels like we're always talking about the same ones, right? Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, when you look at those teams, they really have been built on uh, in-state talent. And that really kind of proves, especially like when you look at the early tenures of Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, that, that in-state uh, foundation and that local foundation really kind of serves as like a proof of concept. And when you, can, when you show that you can take in, ta- land in talented in-state local prospects. And this, I, I kind of consider to me in-state is like really kind of like a four or five hour radius. Um, it's not necessarily, like, we're not restricted like the state borders necessarily, but when you can land those local prospects uh, win, in turn, win games and then, you know, produce NFL draft picks uh, that that's kind of your, your, your proof of concept f- for, for expanding nationally. Um, and that's really what prospects look for. They want to win and they want to get drafted. So I think this provides North Carolina with, with kind of a unique opportunity um, and it just, there's a, just a lot of factors at play, but I think it's all kind of syncing up pretty well. And you combine that with, you know, UNC is, it's kind of a national brand. They have like uh, they're very well known just off of basketball. And I think they um, have, have a lot to, to sell in that regard. They have like a lot of name recognition just nationally um, for, for a lot of those reasons. So I think it could sync up really well. And, and when you look at a lot of these teams too, they kind of like Clemson, for instance, kind of part of the reason why they took the jump was, um, you know, uh, landing Deshaun Watson. That was a big, that was a big deal, like a bona fide start quarterback. Another thing too is staff continuity. Um, and so I, I think those are going to be factors moving forward, but I, I do think looking at UNC's class, it could really be, be a building block, um, for, for them to kind of make a jump into, you know, national relevancy, national contention, however you want to say it. And um, it, it'll be kind of interesting to, to track how that, how, you know, if, if that happens, but I think this is a, a pretty good first step. I'm looking at other, other coaches who like in their first year or first few years sort of went out of state. And I'm talking about like Tom Herman, Jimbo Fisher, you know, maybe the guys down in Florida, although that's tougher with the Florida's numbers getting muddied up a little bit at IMG. Do you think it's a mistake at times when coaches in, in fertile talent beds are are starting their tenure off looking for you know two guys here from California, a guy from Arizona, a few guys from Florida? Are you a sort of a go get the best talent regardless kind of guy? Because again, your argument for proof of concept is really interesting here at North Carolina that they're convincing kids in their region like, hey, we can do this, and then they're going to sort of map out and expand their footprint. Yeah, I, it's. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, it, it, I don't think it's uh, you know, like uh, one or the other necessarily, but um, I, I do think like the, the the schools in Texas kind of have a different situation because the, the state of Texas really since A&M went to the SEC has, has really opened up uh, from a recruiting standpoint. You have teams like Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, they're coming in now more than ever. So there's a lot of 
uh, out-of-state competition there. I think there's maybe not quite as much in North Carolina right now because Clemson has gone national, a team that previously recruited North Carolina a little more heavily. They still land. They have, they have two of the top five or six prospects in the state this year, um, but they aren't recruiting the numbers for North Carolina. And then you have uh, NC State and South Carolina are coming off four and eight seasons. Um, so, so, so that's a factor as well. So I, I, I think – I think you ideally want to do a little bit of both. You don't want to sacrifice your overall talent, but it does make sense. I think it's more sustainable to to land local prospects. And I think in the age of the transfer portal, you're probably going to have a little more roster stability with with, with local with local guys. Um, I think there's just a lot of benefits to that uh, than maybe going out and getting the shiny the shiny new object uh, out of state. But it, at the end of the day, you want to sign the best players, but. If it's if it's all things even, I think you have to prefer prefer the, the local guy. We keep talking about North Carolina as an eventual challenger to Clemson and the ACC. You saw it a little bit in 2019. Eventually, you, you figure they're going to get to a similar playing field, maybe. But right now, Charles, who's 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 losing out when when we write stories such as like North Carolina ready for a leap? Who who's is it? South Carolina is it? NC State like who's who thought they were about to to be doing what North Carolina is doing, and all of a sudden they're they're not batting first? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of immediately go to South Carolina just because, um, you know, I I think that would have been like I think the the blueprint for for winning at, at South Carolina is is you know recently is is kind of established in in landing local players. Like I, I put in the story kind of. The, the juxtaposition with, with South Carolina and Clemson um, from from 2010 to 2013, I, I think were the years that, um, or 2011, 2012, 2013, um, were the three seasons where South Carolina had three 11 win years it, it consecutively. They, they landed a lot of uh, a lot of players from in-state and North Carolina uh, in particular. And so I, I think if you're going to be successful at that program, historically, it, it's built um, off of, off of players from the Carolinas. So I would say them probably first in, in, in NC state as well, but, but NC state had a run where they were kind of landing top players. Like they were kind of, you know, winning the, the in-state battle in, in North Carolina. And um, it, it didn't really transfer quite as much to wins. I think they had like maybe like a nine win year, if I'm not mistaken, but they never kind of made that, that big jump, but, but we've seen South Carolina do that. So I would probably say them, um, that would be the first one I would think of. I mean, you live in South Carolina. You know yeah. South Carolina pretty well. Yeah, it feels like they were following this blueprint. Jake Bentley, as a true freshman quarterback, is doing pretty good. You know, we know what happened there. Will Muschamp had a slew of elite recruits in those first few recruiting classes, or at least guys who are like top two hundred forty-seven players. Yeah, uh, Jemias Williams didn't really work out. Or Trey Smith, though. Shai Smith, Javon Kinlaw. I guess maybe that just goes to show, and of course it's a much more difficult conference, but maybe it just goes to show like how much of a tightrope this is because you look at North Carolina and you wrote it. You said this is their window and they've got however many more years of Sam Howell, you know, two or three. And, you know, they've got Drake May coming in, but Mac Brown's not going to be doing this forever. And and these these opportunities to sign top 10 classes at non-traditional Blue Bloods you only have so many years to actually prove it. So you kind of figure North Carolina needs to take another jump this year and wins needs to do that again in year three, or else this is going to be all for naught. 
yeah, I, I think that's the way you have to look at it. It's it's almost like the NFL when you have the the uh, quarterback on the rookie deal. It, it's kind of like a window. Um, you have to take advantage of it. I think, you know, keeping that staff together is going to be a big deal. He has two young coordinators uh, in in Phil Longo and Jay Bateman, who are, if they continue to play well, are probably going to be sought after. Um, so I think doing as as good as you can to to keep them there. Um, keeping the staff together. They have a really good recruiting staff. Uh, you know, Dre Bly is making a lot of noise in the recruiting trail. So I, I think the continuity is a big thing. And then quarterback position are in addition to just the overall roster talent. Those are to me, the, the two areas that, that can kind of help you sustain through like, as you're steadily ascending in from uh, like, like a top 25 team to a team that can compete for league and playoff contention. A few more. North Carolina and, and Tennessee. Well, I mean, we talk about this 2021 recruiting cycle, and it's it's been a pretty weird year. And the, those two teams have been top five for a while, and they're getting a lot of comparisons. Mac Brown's in year two. Jeremy Pruitt's in year three. I could. I mean, people could easily make the case that Tennessee's on the rise, and and they they sure are. They've been one of the stories of this class, but. Is it maybe a little bit of fool's gold compared to North Carolina and that the average commit commitments a little bit lower, two points lower as far as their, their rating Tennessee's got 23 commits already. I'm just trying to find like a, a, a peer for North Carolina here in this 2021 cycle, as far as team on the upswing with a new coach. And, and I'm looking at Tennessee and I'm maybe looking at Minnesota, but uh, I think they've arrived and I just kind of keep circling back to like, uh, Tennessee might rank higher, but I, I like North Carolina's situation a little bit more. Yeah, I, with Tennessee, if you're going to draw that comparison, it might be better for like a year-over-year thing. Like they've, they've signed a, a couple of really good classes the last two years, um, the last two recruiting cycles in, in 2019 and 2020. And Jeremy Pruitt's kind of proven to, to be a closer. So, um, but, but if we're kind of keeping it within, within 2021, um, yeah, I, I, I think you probably have to, to kind of feel a little better about North Carolina's class just because of the average star ranking. They, they have seven less, co- seven less commits, um, and, and I think their, their, their average is going to go up. So that's one thing that I think I, I wrote this in the story, and I know Steve Wolfong references, references this a good bit, but it, that does provide the, the, average, the average rating uh, for the commits does provide a kind of a, an equalizing uh, way of looking at um, just the overall quality, because, you know, you just look at the list. It's right now, every, everybody's filling up at different stages. Like Alabama is currently ranked 24th um, in, in the team rankings, but they have a, their average is like second or third. So um, you, you kind of extrapolate it out. You, you assume that they're going to just kind of continue to vault at the list as they get, get commitments. So I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, you know, just, I, I think uh, try, I'm kind of trying to think of, of, of other comparisons, maybe like, um, maybe like Oregon kind of early on in, in the Mario Cristobal run, I think kind of taking a jump in, in, in their, in their recruiting uh, would maybe be a, a good uh, analogy out, out on the West coast um, kind of taking advantage of, of some of the opportunistic uh, uh, you know, things that were going on there with, with USC being a little down. Um, so, so I, I think that that would maybe be my comparison, but I, there's not like a, a pure apples to apples one probably at least this year. Yeah, and if you give North Carolina and Tony Grimes this five-star cornerback who's who's committed on the thirtieth, if you give them him in the class calculator, he actually he actually bumps them up mm-hmm. over Tennessee um, at 
you know, barely over and just right behind Clemson. So right. very much a class with staying power. That's interesting that you project them to have, to have a top 10 finish. Um, because it'll, I mean, it'll ultimately depend on how many they sign, but uh, I think you have to feel pretty good about them, them tracking like that, at least right now. Cause last year I remember this summer, last summer, the similar narrative and they had some decommitments North Carolina did, but they were at one point top 10, you know, finished at 19. Maybe there's some concern like that's going to happen to a Tennessee where they, you know, finish fringe top 10, but, but North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, like they've got the star power in this class. And uh, if you, if a casual fan wants to pick up any names from, from this hall, I think it obviously would be the quarterback, Drake may who looks to be the, the successor to Sam Howell. And like, who's more likely to, not more likely to, but like if you're talking about quarterbacks who are going to challenge Clemson at at that point, like, do you think North Carolina can be by the time Sam Howell is a junior senior at the level that they can, they can win an ACC? Or do you think that's sort of Drake May's like finishing task to take the baton from Sam Howell and and get them into the playoff level? To me, it probably depends on how long Sam Howell stays at North Carolina. Um, if he if he's a kind of an early entrant draft guy, or if he maybe stays for his fourth year, I think it would maybe take a little bit to, to reach that level. I, I you know, uh, they played him close last year, and you know, Clemson's going to have to replace Trevor Lawrence, uh, presumably with DJ Uyangalale after after um, the twenty twenty season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I. I I, w- I would feel probably better about Drake. Like I would think Drake may would be playing with a better roster than Sam Howell would be, especially if Sam Howell ends up, you know, just being a three and out guy at, at UNC. So I, I would lean, I would lean may, but um, just, just kind of from, I think, you know, the, the defense is going to be more talented. They'll, um, you know, continue to add playmakers. So I, I would probably lean may, but um, you know, I wouldn't rule out Sam Howell as a, as a fourth year guy. And it's, it's funny. I was thinking back on Sam Howell, like when I was, doing his evaluation for, um, you know, back when he was a, a prospect, I saw him a good bit in, on the all-star circuit. And my, my, my comp for him was actually Baker Mayfield. So I think if you're going for a guy who's like a fourth year quarterback, who kind of sees, um, kind of sees a, a really like a really good senior year um, as in a team that kind of pushes a team into national contention, that, that would maybe be like the, the dream scenario for, for UNC. That's a really um, good comp. And Mac Brown, last summer, we had him on a 24-7 sports show, and he said the Baker Mayfield, he said Brett Favre, so you must feel pretty good when a year later the head coach is making a similar comparison. Yeah, to yeah. That, um, yeah, definitely got, got a similar build and just kind of like playing style to, to Baker Mayfield. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, one thing with North Carolina, and I, I wrote an article on this, I don't know, a couple couple weeks ago too, is – you know, the, the Carolinas are kind of known for, for defensive line talent and, um, you know, this year is really no different. So I think if you kind of, you, when you kind of look at their, their team, they're, they're adding a lot of talent, um, on, you know, in, in the front four, they have two top 100 defensive, defensive linemen and Keyshawn Silver and Javari Ritzy. Uh, they're involved with Tyrion Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney, South Carolina as well. Um, I, I think most of the crystal ball has him going elsewhere right now, but if they could somehow land him too, like that would be a, really hellacious defensive line group. And I think when you combining that with how good their quarterback room is, like their quarterback, like their quarterback room went from, you know, below average to, to one of the, you know, more promising ones in the country in the last three cycles. Um, if you combine the defensive line with, with that, I think those are the two positions that kind of point to winning at a high level in college football. Um, I, I think you have to feel pretty good about, about UNC moving forward, assuming they kind of continue to develop these guys and, 
they transfer to the field, but on paper, uh, there's definitely, um, a, a lot of reason to, to, um, you know, feel good about it. Good stuff from Charles power. Make sure you guys check that story out. It's going to be in our show notes, North Carolina, definitely one of the best stories in college football uh, on the recruiting trail and, and on the field too. And hopefully we get to see that in 2020. That's going to do it for today's episode of the college football daily. Thanks again to Charles Power for joining us. For our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. We will catch you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.